Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Always nice to I've not heard that first song before. Always nice to sing a new song. And um, I always find when I'm singing a new song, because you don't know it, you're trying to learn it. But uh, you concentrate on the words more, don't you? Because you're trying to learn them. So a new song is always a good opportunity to press into the truths that it sings about. And I, I do wonder as well if some people needed that this morning. They needed two songs back to back that talked about God's love in a variety of different ways, that it's not far away, that God's love is close, that he's faithful, that his love is uh, loyal, that his love is fierce, that it chases us down, all those kinds of beautiful things. And I suspect there's a few people in here this morning that will have been particularly blessed by that. So don't leave that in this place. Take it with you and the rest of the day and keep humming the songs, find them on Spotify and let them play around in your mind even more and press into that good stuff. Um, we could talk a bit about comparison today, and um, comparison is a is a funny thing because it's it's unavoidable. We can't we can't not compare. Like it's just an inevitable part of our human experience. We we see things around us and we inevitably compare. So I'm even right now I'm I'm stood here looking around at the people on the front row and I'm thinking to myself, why am I not as organised as Ian Robot? And why am I not as good a dancer as Shola? Why am I not as tall as Daniel Eduardo? Why have I got the same haircut as Andy? It's like these are the comparisons that, that we look at and we think about in our, in our lives. And the, the, the truth is that um, comparison is never neutral. And I think sometimes because we're aware that we'll compare in our lives, we just settle into the idea that it's there, but a lot of the time it's probably neutral. But it's never, ever neutral. Comparison will either be constructive or destructive. And which one of those two things it will be will very much depend on the posture of your heart and where you think the Lord fits into your life. Look at this fascinating little incident from the story of Israel. I say little incident. This is a a huge incident, a a massively history-defining moment in the story of Israel. And uh, it has its heart, its root in a few different things, but it's definitely got a root in comparison, no question. 1 Samuel 8, verses 4 through 8. All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as the other nations have. What's been going on in the story of Israel up to this point is that the nation has been led by prophets and judges. And these people have been given the task by God to lead the people kind of governmentally, but almost like a bit of a king. But on his behalf, he's in charge. He is God. And so you have these incredible figures throughout the story of Israel who lead on God's behalf. They, uh, Moses obviously even gives the law of God through his ministry and leadership of the nation. And throughout history, what we see is that Israel uh, has a king that never lets them down. Israel lets their king down all the time. But Israel has a king that never lets them down when they are taken into slavery, which, by the way, is not God letting them down. It's that their own foolishness and rebellion that they end up in slavery. God eventually has mercy upon them, even though they're not deserving of it, even though we're not deserving of his mercy and grace. He still lavishes it upon us just because why? Of the songs we've just been singing, because his love is faithful. He's good. He is trustworthy. So while they're in slavery, God sends Moses on his behalf to set the people free. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Why is the worship part so important? Because only the King of Kings is worthy of our full worth, uh, worship and uh, us uh, following him day by day with the fullness of everything that we have. 
So they get let out and, and we even see how much stronger he is than an earthly king because as Pharaoh tries to get those people back, God does the miraculous. Pharaoh could never part the Red Sea, but, but God, the king of kings, can do that. And we see the power that God has. God doesn't need to even worry about growing crops for his people or storing up crops like an earthly king would have to do in a time of famine. God can take care of that through giving a dream or a prophecy, as we see in the story of uh, Joseph, so that the future famine that's coming can be taken care of through the prophetic power that God can instill in his people. He can take care of that. But he can even just give food straight away to his people if there's no food there. And we see that through the manna from heaven that comes to the people. And story after story after story as the people of Israel go into battle against superior armies that have so many more people in their armies that are technologically more advanced in the weaponry and the skill sets and the fighting ability that they have. And yet time and again, they win. Why? Because because they have the ultimate king. They have the king of kings on their side. And yet here, they've reached a moment in their story where they've decided that what they really want is a king like the other nations have. When they said, God, uh, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, they are doing to you. You notice what he, what he says there? He doesn't say serving other kings. He says serving other gods. You see, actually, you can't serve a king and pretend it's just serving a king, but you've still got gods. If you serve a king, then you're serving a god because there's only one king and there's only one god and his name is Jesus. And God is saying here to his prophet Samuel, who's leading the nation, he's saying, I know they've come to you and I know you feel personally rejected by this, but they're not rejecting you. They're not saying they don't like your leadership. What they're really saying is they don't like my leadership. How has this come about? Well, well, basically it's come about because Israel are looking around and they're seeing the other nations that they go into battle against. And here's the crazy thing. Even though they're winning in those battles, even though they're having a triumph over the other kings of the other nations, they're still looking at those kings with a little bit of envy and thinking to themselves, well, we beat you, but we do quite like the structure of what you've got. We do quite like that you've got a visual representation of something that can lead you into battle because that's really what the king was there to do, to lead his nation, to lead his people. And one of the big ways that they did that in the ancient world, which was so full of territorial battles and struggles, was to literally lead them into war, into conflict, into battle and be the figurehead. Charge! Let's go! And the king would lead the way and the people would rally behind the king. That's why the king would need to be so inspirational. Kings were really more military leaders than anything else back in the ancient world. And Israel are looking around them and they're like, well, yeah, we'd like a bit of that as well. That would be great. That would be really good. How does that come about? It comes about from comparing yourself in such a way that destruction takes place. The irony here is that they want something that they already have the best version of. It's very hard not to compare ourselves to those around us. But as we do compare, remember, it will never, ever be neutral. Think right now of the areas in your life of comparison. Think right now of the areas of, in your life where you compare yourself to other people, to other situations, to other ministries, to other skill sets or talented people that are working in a similar realm to you. How do you compare to them? What impact does that have? Of course, not all comparison 
is bad. We wouldn't you think that. It's not all bad. There's plenty of good comparison. I mean, the concept of a comparison website is quite handy in the modern world, isn't it? You go to compare the market or you go to Expedia or whatever else to get your travel or get your car insurance. And it will do a quick scan, compare everything, and you can see which deal is the best. And that could be like a helpful form of comparison. There's other good forms of comparison where we look around and we see somebody that we're so inspired by comparatively to ourselves, we're like, wow, what they're doing compared to what I am, or where I'm at is that they're further ahead than me. And I'm inspired by that because I would love to get to that place. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press into some of the things that they've done and I think I can learn from them and I can grow and we can be inspired. Because if we want our comparison to lead to construction, then we press into inspiration. As we see others doing well, we're inspired to keep going on our own journey. What would that have looked like for Israel? It would have looked like this. Wow, those other nations, they got some, they got some kings that lead them pretty effectively. They got a, a figurehead in their community that they can put a crown on and, and kind of worship uh, and get behind and be excited about that this is the figurehead of their community. They've got that present in their community and in their society. Wow, how does that inspire us for our own community? Well, it inspires us to press in even more deeply to the fact that we have the ultimate version of that. We can turn our inspiration back to worship, not jealousy, not lack, but love. Here's the thing. Does your comparison lead you to a place of lack or a place of love? If when you compare, you're looking, you're thinking, I don't have that. And that pushes you to a place where you're like, oh, what was me? I don't have that then what you've done is you've pushed the very thing that you have, Christ himself, which is all that you need, to the sidelines and said, I have more lack than I have love. That's no good. That's no good. That will leave you in a place of deficiency. That will leave you in a place of destruction. So inspiration is good. We look around, we see other things, and we're like, I can be inspired by that, and I can turn it to worship, and I can turn it to practical action. The other way that we can be inspired through comparison is as we see other people struggling. One of the dangers with comparison is that it can make us feel superior. Because not all comparison, of course, means that we compare unfavorably. Sometimes we compare favorably. And sometimes that's even more dangerous. Because when you compare favorably, you can very quickly look at other people and start thinking to yourself, oh yeah, I, I got this. I'm the, I'm the man. I got this covered. I'm good. And we can actually start pushing other people to the sidelines, pushing people down based on all sorts of faulty criteria as well a lot of the time. But actually, if we're inspired, if we're inspired, then instead of looking at somebody else and going, I'm better than you, we we go, hey, you know what? You're on a journey too. I wonder if I can help you. I wonder if I could sow into you and pour into your life in such a way that would help you to grow. If we want our comparison to lead us to a place of construction, then it needs to be based in inspiration. Because there's an opposite response, and it's the road that leads to destruction, and it's the road of condemnation. As we see others doing well, we condemn ourselves to failure. We condemn ourselves for not doing as well as they are doing, that we'll never do as well, that we're failing. God wouldn't want to use us. We're mucky, we're messy, we're weak. No, it's no good condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. And you know what? The devil loves it because then you're doing his job for him, and he can have a day off. So often people say to me, oh, I think the devil's having a go at me today. And I'm like, he might be. He might be. But there's a very good chance it's yourself having a go at you. A very good chance. Before he even gets involved, there's a very good chance that it's your own fleshiness, your own messy psychology that's getting in the way of what God has empowered you to do, which is rather than be defined by condemnation, it's be set free to worship through inspiration. 
But the other thing is in condemnation, just in the same way that it doesn't affect us through uh, comparison, through, through being inferior, but when we get superior, again, the condemnation becomes a problem, doesn't it? Because like I said before, we condemn other people into not being able to grow, develop, to be as good as us. Our ego rises, our pride rises, our arrogance rises. Samuel has his nose put out of joint by this whole comparison king thing. He sees it as a personal rejection of his leadership. But God reminds him the rejection doesn't belong to Samuel. He says, Samuel, this rejection doesn't belong to you. The rejection belongs to me because condemnational comparison, they've looked at the other nations and thought, we don't have what we need. They condemn themselves to weakness. You notice that they condemn themselves to insufficiency. But do we not have all we need if we have Christ? But they condemn themselves to insufficiency by looking and saying, we have a lack. We don't have what we need. And through the condemnation of comparison, they reject the sufficiency of God. Be so careful of pushing God to the sidelines. Condemnation or comparison will always, always, always push God to the sidelines because it says, I don't have what I need. But God is stood right there saying, are you crazy? I'm right here. Be a fine balance to keep our hearts in check with the inevitable comparisons that come our way. So here are four things. Among many others, I think we could have talked about this morning, but I had a big long list. And then I was like, no, Ben, try and keep it short for a change. Um, So I've, I've whittled it down to just four things to talk about today that I think we can look out for as we seek to be faithful to responding to God in a way that is about inspiration rather than condemnation, about love rather than lack, about keeping God in his rightful place as the king of kings. These are some pitfalls that we can watch out for. The first one is this, for the discouragement of success. Watch out for the discouragement of success. There are two equal and opposite problems with comparison. One is discouragement, one is encouragement. We'll get to encouragement in a second. But, but discouragement is when we compare unfavorably to those around us, we very quickly can become discouraged, ineffective, and inactive. Don't let unfavorable comparisons steal the joy of the calling that God has placed on your life. Don't let unfavorable comparison blunt the effectiveness of the witness that God has positioned you to be faithful in. Because God hasn't given you the calling that he's given your neighbor. He hasn't given Daniel the calling that he's given Shola. There will be no other human being on the planet that receives the calling that Shola receives. It's a unique calling that God has given. Now, it might have crossover with other people's callings. It might be in the same realm, in the same room. But it's deeply, deeply personal. And guess what? It has absolutely nothing to do with Shola's talents and skills. Nothing. I'll come back to that in a bit. There are people listening today who have an idol in their hearts around competition and performance. I do want you to search your heart right now. How is your heart when it comes to competition and performance? I guarantee you there's people listening today who have an idol in their hearts around competition. You've got to watch that because it's rooted in in jealousy and insecurity. You don't want that in your life. Proverbs 14.30 says, "A A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy, jealousy, rots the bones. Say that again. A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. Proverbs 14.30. 
If you allow competition to creep up in your heart to such a degree that it takes over and consumes you, where all of your comparison is based around how you stack up against the competition and wanting to do better or being utterly defeated by the fact that you're not doing better or pushing other people down as you do better, then you will become bitter and cynical and twisted and understand this, useless to the kingdom of God. I don't want to be useless to the kingdom of God. Instead of being negatively impacted in whatever way by other people's successes, celebrate each one as a win for the kingdom of God. Is your success a win for you or is it a win for the kingdom? If it's a win for you, then someone else's win will be a defeat for you. But if your win is a win for the kingdom of God, guess what? Their win is a win for the kingdom of God. Everybody celebrates everybody all the time. Choose to give thanks for the kingdom win of others instead of lament for your personal frustration and limitation and see what that does to your heart. Honor the Lord with the posture of your heart in this way and you'll discover a joy that will lead you from a place of lack to a place of love. I promise you it will be transformational. The second thing is watch out for the encouragement of talent. Well, I just touched on talent. It might seem strange that encouragement is a challenge, but it actually can be a challenge. And we do need to just watch it sometimes. Like, please, let's be a movement that is deeply encouraging. I am actually so blessed to be in the message that is a place that I have experienced it to be, which is full of encouragement. I do experience so much encouragement in this place. I see people going out of their way to be intentionally encouraging to others in all sorts of creative, special and profound ways. We're not perfect. We, we, don't, we miss it sometimes. We get it wrong. Keep your eyes open for every opportunity to be encouraged and to be an encourager. But also just watch out in some of the things that we encourage sometimes. All too easily, we can end up feeling superior to other people and get high on our success through encouragement. So we do need to temper it. Think about the things that are being said to you as you're being encouraged. Be careful not to massage your own ego by indulging in the thought that you are better in some way than someone else. Be humble about your abilities. And I want to say something really important this morning. I don't think it's said enough, but it's really important. There is no ability that you have that God needs. Not one. Think about that for a second. There is not one single talent, skill, gifting, or ability that you have that God needs. But there are copious talents, giftings, and abilities represented in this place that God is delighted to put to use for his eternal glory and that will bring delight and joy to the journey of life that is set before you. First Peter 4, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Hear that? Whatever gift you have to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Thank God for every talent that you have that can be used for his glory. But ask him to bless you even more abundantly with the wisdom and grace of heaven. That's what we really need. We'll get by just fine if we don't have much talent but we'll be stuffed if we don't have the wisdom and grace of heaven, that you might steward the gifts that he blesses you with faithfully, including by being generous in gifting your time, skills, and resources to those who are growing in their own gifting and journey. I want to give you a challenge this morning. Would you be prepared to pour yourself out into somebody's life that they would reach a point where they're completely outshone you? 
How many of us would actually do that? I'll be honest with you, I'll get literally, I've compared myself in, through life in all sorts of different ways to other people. When it comes to preaching, for example, like, it's so easy for me to sit and watch people and see them preaching and being brilliant and thinking, oh, they're better than me. They're a better preacher than me. And then I realize the, light, the Lord shines a light on my heart and illuminates the fact that I got too much stock in me being a preacher and in the gifting of being a preacher and all that nonsense. And I'm looking at other people and I'm like, oh, they're not, but let me tell you, I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and saying, Lord, help me, help me to grow. And I can tell you now that one of the real great joys of my life over the last year, and I mean, it might sound weird to some of you, but I promise you this is true. One of the real great joys of my life over the last year has been seeing Sammy Jabangwe absolutely grow and develop into such a beautiful and precious communicator of the truth of God's word. And I love it. And every time I'm sitting there watching Sammy, I'm not thinking to myself, she's better than me. She's better than me. But I'm not looking at her, oh, she's better than me. This is I'm looking and go, wow, I'm so encouraged and I'm so inspired by this. And if there's any way, Sammy, that I can help you and pour into you and sow into you and help you get better, I'll do it. If I'm a problem, I'll get out of the way so you can just carry on and flourish. But are we prepared to step up and help people to flourish and outshine us. Ultimately, we want God to outshine everything. So that's where it starts. But would we be prepared to pour ourselves out? Number three, watch out for toxic humility. How can humility be toxic? Well, it can be toxic when it's false. How do you demonstrate humility in response to encouragement? When people come and they encourage you, they give you a word of encouragement, feedback that's really positive and kind. Now, annual reviews are going on right now. Hopefully they're good for you. And, and, if, and if it's good and people are giving you good feedback, how do you respond to that? How do you receive it? One way to evaluate our humility levels is to consider that response. Do you dismiss and downplay the positive feedback that you get? This is a pretty British thing to do, isn't it? It's a pretty kind of British, like, oh, oh thank you very much. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to do with that. Um, do, do you kind of downplay it? Uh, because I, I think that the problem is we can assume that the humble position is to be like, oh, no, 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 you know, and just try to downplay it and dismiss it and be a little bit awkward. And that shows humility. That doesn't show humility. That doesn't show humility at all. That can actually hide an awful lot of pridefulness. What shows true humility is when you receive a compliment and you turn it back to worship instantly and immediately. You turn it back to a blessing to, on, the, on the one who actually just complimented you. That's how you show humility to say, wow, that's such a blessing to me. That has so impacted me that I want to give you thanks for giving it to me. I want to give God the glory for everything that he's doing in and through me. And just through that slight little shifting of my response to the feedback and the encouragement that I get, rather than dismissing and playing down by graciously receiving and lovingly redirecting it to God, I can show that the posture of my heart truly is humility, even in our responses to receiving feedback. Watch out for false and toxic humility. Search your heart. What does it really look like to be humble? And number four, watch out for people-pleasing. Sometimes our performance can be based on a desire to please people rather than God. We all struggle with that at times. But you're under no obligation to outwork your witness or your calling or your ministry or your faith in God to the world for the pleasure of anybody other than your heavenly father. That's the truth of it. Yes, if you work at the message, you have a line manager and you have a job description and you have responsibilities and you have things that you need to achieve. And of course you do. But the ultimate goal is that we do it for the pleasure of the Lord. Eric Little we know the story of Eric Little, I'm sure, the Scottish runner and, and missionary whose story was famously told in the movie Chariots of Fire, went to the 1924 Paris Olympics, very faithful Christian, felt like it wasn't right for him to run on a Sunday on his Sabbath day. So um, he's, his 
discipline was the 100 meters. And uh, he was highly fancied in the 100 meters. The heats were going to be held on a Sunday at the Paris Olympics. So he was like, I can't run in those heats. And he knew that he wouldn't be able to run in those heats. So he's like, nope, I can't do that. So he changed his discipline just before the Olympics to the 400 meters, which he was able to run. And he ended up winning gold in the 400 meters. And just before he uh, ran the race, one of the team masseurs, um, masseuse is, is it masseur or masseuse? Either one. Is it masseuse? Masseuse. Gina knows. Regular masseuse candidate there. Um, the, uh, the, team, the team masseuse handed him a note just before he started racing. And it was, you know, scripture from, uh, from Samuel um, that basically said, He who honors God, God shall also honor. And this is the note that he received just before he ran the 400 meter race. And you know what? He ended up running. The, the, the trick with running the 400 meters is that you run the first 100 like a sprint, basically. And then you settle into a pace for the last 300. And then you try and jog it out for the last, you know, really sprint out for the last 50. He didn't really know how to run it properly. So he just sprinted for 400 meters straight. He just went for it. And, uh, and he won and he set a new world record on, on that day. And it wasn't even his discipline. Look, I'm not saying that if, you, uh, if you're faithful to God, that it guarantees that you win a, a gold medal. That's not how it, how it works. That's not the economy's of heaven, but I guarantee you'll be blessed. I guarantee you'll be blessed. I don't always know what the blessing will look like, but it'll be good because God is good and his blessings are good. And so Little wins the gold medal. And out of that story comes this beautiful um, center, this beautiful uh, quote that, that he gave where his pleasure was not in running. His pleasure was in the Lord's pleasure in him doing what he loved to do. As he says, when I run, I feel the Lord's pleasure. That's his famous quote. When I run, I feel the Lord's pleasure. What do you feel the Lord's pleasure in as you do? Don't, don't run for the pleasure of other people. Don't minister for the pleasure of other people. If that happens by proxy, great. But run for the pleasure of the Lord's. Be aware of, 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 of people pleasing and through comparison and performance that people pleasing starts to creep in. Don't settle for anything less than the pleasure of the Lord. It will elevate your own pleasures and passions from being merely activities on this side of eternity to worship that will resonate throughout eternity. I don't want to be engaged in just activities this side of eternity. I want to be worshiping and worshiping in a way that will resonate for all eternity. So four things to watch out for. Watch out for the discouragement of success. Watch out for the encouragement of talent. Watch out for toxic humility. Watch out for people pleasing. Watch out for all sorts of forms of comparison because we don't want to move Christ from his throne in our lives. We want to keep him central. And we want to trust that as we have God in our lives, we have all that we need. Now, the one thing I'll finish with is this, that we are called to be Christ-like. Does that mean that we compare ourselves to Christ? Is that the ultimate version of comparison. That's a good way to compare is to look at Christ and compare ourselves to Christ. I'd actually say no. No, I don't think that's the way that you go about doing it. Because guess what? You'll actually just be discouraged if you compare yourselves to Christ because he's always going to be better. Always. So what do we do then with Christ if we're to be Christ-like? Rather than comparing ourselves to Christ, we remain in him. We remain in him. And as we remain in him, he reveals himself to us and we reveal him to the world around us. John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember, talent, not, not that useful to God. But him empowering you in your life, that's everything. Verse eight, this is to my father's glory. It's not about us. Never has been, never will be. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus will always be greater, but with his spirit in us, we can reveal his greatness precisely because we compare unfavorably to him. You understand? 
It's not because we compare favorably to him that his greatness comes through. It's because we compare unfavorably to him that his power can be made perfect in our weakness and we can grow and be transformed. Yes, our lives are works in progress, but it's a beautiful work in progress because it's his work in our lives that is transforming us day by day. Israel's problem was that they thought they didn't have what they needed, a king. But ironically, they had the king of kings. Don't let your comparison in your life trick you into thinking that you don't have what you need. You have him. Remain in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are all that we need. Thank you that you've also given us each other, a body that supports and works together with all of our different gifts and talents and skill sets and different callings to outwork different parts of your, your mission and your story into this world. Lord, never let us be killed by comparison, destroyed by comparison, condemned by comparison. Instead, as we inevitably look around and compare in this world, would, be, would we be led to a place of inspiration where we turn it to worship, giving you thanks, being quick to be generous out of what we do have to help those around us, being quick to remember that in you we have all that we need. And as a family of God, we can help each other And as the people of God, we can go into the world and say, you too can have the king and he is everything. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.